Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, this is Celine Williams hosting from Ontario for Canada's podcast. My guest today is Emily O'Brien, founder and CEO of Comeback Snacks. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited to chat with you today and get to know more about you. Um, and because what we do is we tell the story of entrepreneurs here, I'd love to know a little bit about your background and your journey to, you know, Comeback Snacks and where you're at today. Yes, thanks so much. So I would say my journey to come back snacks was slightly unconventional. We <laughs> love an unconventional journey. Yep. That's what makes life yep. interesting. Um, I actually started my company when I was incarcerated in federal prison. And this was in 2018, actually. And I started it with popcorn kernels and some stamps. <laughs> popcorn. Okay. So... <laughs> How do we go from popcorn kernel? First of all, I'm really <laughs> curious about popcorn kernels and stamps as a starting point. So I'm going to ask you about that. But also, how do we go from popcorn kernels and stamps to what Comeback Snacks is today? Absolutely. So when I was incarcerated, um, I got mixed up just with a bad, bad group of people. I ended up in prison. Um, you know, I was an honor roll student, always had jobs, so it can happen to anyone. But I Absolutely. Also, I also had some you know, reparations that I had to do. And so when I was in prison, I knew that I could kind of make things better, but I also wanted to make them better for, for other people because I've mm. always been compassionate and I felt very misunderstood on, you know, why, I, why I was in there. And also I felt very stigmatized as to my capabilities after prison. Mm. Uh, and so popcorn was a popular prison snack. And it was also this blank canvas where people could, create and use their own recipes. And throughout those creation of recipes, we would have discussions about, you know, what we're going to do after and for employment um, specifically. And we knew that it was going to be tough based on you know, the challenges of getting a job with a record. And so popcorn, uh, something that we shared, something that we also shared was a record. And I knew that I, I had a bit of an entrepreneurial past. I had a small social media company prior to that. I started, I decided to start a popcorn company in prison where I could employ myself and others after incarceration. So I, I mean, I love the, I want to obviously being in prison, this is not a positive thing. I'm not saying I love that aspect of it, but I do love <laughs> the, um, positive community and connection that comes from something that is challenging. Right. Yes. I think that, that, that is that's not easy, obviously. And there is an opportunity, there was clearly an opportunity for something bigger for possibility, which I think can be really hard in challenging circumstances to see that there's anything possible, right? Absolutely. It becomes the weight. So I love that you focused on that and that this has become like a, it's a real business. This is a, it's a big deal. It's a really cool business. Um, I mean, it is. So I'm, and I'm curious, the transition from starting it in while you were incarcerated to bringing it out of that system, because and, and I might have misunderstood this, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. But what that was like and how that went for you, because my guess is that there's very specific challenges and differences, right, in a system outside of the system that come with taking this business idea and putting it in another another world, for lack of a better way of putting it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And so kind of what I did, I started to build the brand from the inside. So I would kind of take all the negative things that were said about me and others. Like our slogan is now popcorn so good. It's criminal made with conviction, kind of bringing power back. For the record, I just need to, I just need to note this. I really enjoy a little bit snarky tagline. That's also true. So I'm very into (laughs) that. Thank you so much. And, um, and in there, I also, yeah, I read 82 books. You know, I started to realize that prison reform was something that was happening as I was in there. You know, if, if I, if I, if I was in 10, 15 years ago, no one would have given a crap. Mm. So I kind of hate to say it, but I was actually in prison at the perfect time <laughs> because I had, um, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was ready to take some, take responsibility for some of the the struggles that I'd gone through. You know, I'd my weakness was, was substances. I went through a very difficult time with that. And that was part of the reason why I was in there. Um, and, but I also knew that, yeah, prison reform was something that people were starting to care about. And so I would write articles and post, get mail them out. And my business now business partner would post them online. I would write letters to authors who had written books that I read. I started forming relationships with volunteers that would come in and, uh, you know, they, they would, bring in crafts and stuff. So I started to make these connections with the outside community while I was still inside. And then when I got out, I had to live in a halfway house, which is fine. It's part of the, part of the, yep. I guess, re-entry process. And so I started in that kitchen and then I moved to my mom's kitchen. I started doing, I actually shared my story with the media. And this is in the very beginning because I was like, no one's going to own this story, but me. And I was at a point where I was like, I know that I have a responsibility to be accountable for things that had happened. Because uh, no one else is going to do it for you. But also, and also I didn't want to suppress what had happened because I couldn't live with this secret inside of me where that someone else could just take charge of. And so that was another part of it. And pretty soon we'd um, gotten into a commercial kitchen. And then as the story started to spread, tremendous support from the community started to come in. So people would be like, oh, do you want a table at this event? Do you want to come talk in my class? You know, I'm here. It's people donate. Um, labels uh like print companies donate labels and what uh, a pop someone bought us a popcorn pop or someone gave us like 500 dollars donation for for marketing right so i like to say it was a community built business and so since then now it's 2023 we went from you know being being at markets and a couple stores to we're in over eight, 800 stores now and we're all across the country but more importantly we've most importantly at least for me is that we've made significant changes like surrounding reintegration um, at the federal and um, provincial level with government. So, so I'd like to, um, if you're if you're okay with it, I'd like to know a little bit more about that because I think that impact. Anytime any business can have that kind of positive impact, especially when it comes to, um, you. Know, I mean, there's the very very specific stigma and i hate the word but there's stigma and shame around incarceration around people coming back into society it is as you said it's really hard to get a job to find employment when you have any kind of record and i think that there are um i think it's incredible to be able to make change and have an impact on something that people don't like to talk about because we don't like to talk about these things it's just that dark corner we push things into. So I'd love to know a little bit more about the impact that you've had in that way, because it, you know, I, I recognize that the social enterprise aspect of this is clearly very important to you. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. The lived experience for sure, because we never think it can happen to us until it does. And we, I like to call it the proximity of forgiveness. You know, it's very easy to forgive someone that you know and someone that you care about. The second you read about someone else doing it, who you have no idea, and all you read about is how bad they were, it's, you have this instant hate, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the gift and the curse of the media as well. It's like they can either spin you one way or the other way. And so oh, I, was yeah. gonna, I, I made sure that, um, you know, coming up with this story, like they got to know the real me. I was like, this isn't just like, oh, Emily got arrested and put in jail. This is this was my life growing up and this is how it happened so I could actually help people. And because the story was told in that way, I got, I was was contacted by like fam like families and and you know kids of par- parents that were struggling and people all around the world that were like thank you for helping me in this way. You know, they didn't necessarily go to prison, but it's all about making mistakes but also making a comeback. Um we we've all done things that we regret but but um, in order to make that comeback, we need help, but we also have to take responsibility for ourselves as well. And there's not, you know, I think that in the past few years, there's been some uh, wonderful, like Brene Brown comes to mind, wonderful work around speaking about vulnerability and and shame and things like that. And I think that is incredibly important, but I think a lot of people still talk about it from a theoretical intellectual standpoint, don't actually take the time to be vulnerable and share the aspects of their story that have that impact. And what I hear inside of what you just said is the, by you sharing your story and by you opening up and, and just owning it, right? Like this is, I can write my own story. I can share it in my own way. That impact is tremendous. It does change people's literally changes people's lives. Mm-hmm. And that's like what I like to call emotional profit too. It's I find it's an essential component of run, of running. I think and running a sustainable business, it's like you have to be invested in the work that you do, not just the profit that you make. And so when you can actually see people's lives changing, like this came, like I think I was always like, I think we're all good people, right? I think we all see value in, in helping others uh, because we've all needed it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So doing that and working with people and even. You can help people in this, what we think is the smallest thing. It can be a text message. It can be connecting them to a resource or connecting someone to an employer or telling them like they look great or you're like you, you did this awesome, right? It, you can really change. You don't have to do these grandiose gestures where you're, you know, where you're responsible for their entire life. You can actually help people in, in small ways that actually get them on the right, uh, on a different path that can really yeah. serve as a springboard to their the next chapter of their life. So I'm curious. So you are an entrepreneur who has run more than one business, clearly. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you, what are some of the lessons you learned either with your previous, you know, with your previous business that you were like, this does not work with this business or that you carried through or things that looking back, you're like, these are the things that really stand out as what I learned as an entrepreneur about myself or this journey or running a business or anything in that realm. I think is that everyone has something to offer. Um, you know, it, it, that's why I think working with people that had, had records, for example, it's, it's like, no, you don't look at the record. You look at what they're capable of doing. And the more that you can actually build a family environment, I think that that actually makes people feel comfortable and make people want to actually continue to work with you. And there's so many sayings out there. It's like, be, be a boss and all that stuff. It's like, no, I, I don't want to be that. I want to be a friend, but also someone that can help, you know, 
help build others up. And I think there's a lot of these like sayings these days that actually don't make sense in entrepreneurship, right? Um, like fake it till you make it is another one. <laughs> that doesn't work out well. <laughs> um, yeah, and being your own boss and making your own schedule. And no, it's if you're actually there to serve, who you're intending to serve, you are people are your boss, right? People are telling you how they need to be helped or, you know, in the food space, for example, where we are now, it's like, I'm not going to make the flavor that I like. It's like, you're, (laughs) you're going to make flavors that the public want that are, that will make them happy or like, like, you know, soothe their palates so that they want to share that tastes good. Right. So it's, um, it's not actually all about you. It's about everyone else. There's a real, um, misrepresentation, I think oftentimes in entrepreneurship of the idea that you're this like lone wolf or solo Island doing everything on your own. And a lot of entrepreneurs get really stuck in that because there's a lot of language around it, right? Like there's, there's kind of two paths. It's either, you know, no one does this on their own and it's all about the community, which is a wonderful thing, but there's a lot more loud voices that are all about, you know, that like the Steve Jobs, the solo founder, and he's not that he was a solo founder, but we focus on like a solo founder and what they can do on Mm. their own and how it's one person's vision. And there's a lot of that, that people model or uh, look to in entrepreneurship. And I think what you're saying is so important is that it's not, it is about the people around you. And when you have an eye on serving and service, not only, I think it feels better personally from a totally selfish, it feels nice to have that impact to care about people, but also what you can do, not doing it on your own, you know, thinking of other people. It's a really great thing because we are not, we're always in our own heads. That's kind of, that gets boring at a certain point, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the other, the other thing that I've learned is like, never like lose really who you are. Right. I mean, if I could do a speaking engagement, sometimes I'm going to curse. That's just it. Like, I'm sorry. We all swear. Right. Yeah. Like if we're getting arrested, you would swear too. So I'm not, I don't want to like, I'm not going to pretend to be all polished and stuff for that time because that's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think just being true to, and you know, I'm not going to, sure. I can like wear a collared shirt and I, I like collared shirts, but sometimes I want to wear a t-shirt and jeans. And if yeah. I'm talking in front of a group of kids, or even if I'm talking in front of a group of executives, I'm still going to wear sneakers because that's how I feel comfortable, <laughs> right? So yeah. Um, I think, yeah, definitely not not um, losing who, who you are, just trying to like please other please other people because there are so many people out there that you can help. And if are and if people are giving you rules on how you on being yourself, then that's not the right fit. But then that's not you being yourself, right? Exactly. Like that's that. Yeah, I understand. Sweet, like okay, I understand. Yeah, maybe don't curse all the time. Um, but if you're not allowed to, if everything is parental advisory, then no, like that's not, my story is not suited for that. Yes. <laughs> like there are substances, there is swearing, there is, you know, ab- there's abuse. There is a bunch of things that I can't help people if I can't share exactly how that happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And I think that's where it's so important to, and I, and I, Emily, we have just met. So I'm saying this with something that I see in you is the ability to adapt without losing yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think often people 
don't adapt. They entirely change who they are for specific situations and actually lose the core, maybe not the story, but the core of who they are. Whereas I think being confident in that core and being able to adapt the external factors. So like, yeah, maybe you don't curse in front of a group of school of kids. Okay. Like that's an adaptation that I can work with because that feels appropriate and I can still be me inside of it. But to Mm -hmm. then like never curse in any time in front of people, if that's how you speak, that kind of change with a group of adults is really different. Like you can lose that core of who you are Mm -hmm. because you're trying to think about like, I can't be this person that is real. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you for helping. There we go. Helping each other. <laughs> Love that. That's what it's all about. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Um, I have two things that I'm going to ask. So I'm going to ask this first. I'm curious when you look at the future, how at the, when you look at the future of Comeback Snacks, because, and let's say this, I you know, amazing that you're in 800 locations. Like, kudos to you. That's phenomenal. Um. When you look at the future of Comeback Snacks, and, and it may not even be from a, I'm not necessarily saying like, we want to be in this many stores, but the impact that you want it to have, because there is such a clear social aspect to it. What do you see as the potential for the future? I see uh, us developing grant programs um, to give out grants to people trying to start businesses that maybe have coming out of prison or have a record, even starting a business. That's like a whole other discussion with a record was challenging because, you know, there was a financial institution that didn't want to open a bank account for me because of, I was hiring people with records. <laughs> and then like the business insurance is like at premiums. And then there's grants that we applied to that people that actually, there was like a break in the communication because we'd have these grant organizations reaching out to us to apply. And then they didn't even read the fine print at the end that said, oh, actually, if you have a record, you're ineligible, right? So it's like, what does that have to do with that? <laughs> Thing. So I just saw like all these, all these gaps and I eventually want to be able to fund other, other businesses and travel around the world and see how we can bring the world closer together despite how vast it is. Yeah. So the other, thank you for sharing that. The other, the other question that I had, and it was, you know, a little bit, I think a little bit inside of what you were talking about, but the, um, the changes that you, that you've been able to impact or be a part of the discussion around um, the prison system at the, you said at the federal and the provincial level. What are some of those changes or conversations that you've had that you think that you feel, I'm going to say most proud of, because I don't know a better word for it, but we're like, I'm really glad we're doing this or these things are changing or something is not the way it was before. Yeah. So when I was charged, um, there was a number of circumstances that led to me being arrested for, I'm just gonna say drug smuggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never a drug smuggler. I never went to university for that. Like I just ended up on a trip with someone that I trusted and back in Canada because I just wanted to go home with drugs yeah. on me. Meanwhile, at the time, federal government had something called mandatory minimum sentences. And so you're putting women who are used as drug mules who have no other recourse or very few recourses or just very, very ignorant um, and try to get home um, and are arrested and are put in jail for a very long period of time when they aren't the ones benefiting from this drug trade. And the people higher up, like we were like the lowest hanging fruit. So the 
country is spending tax, like millions of tax dollars on incarcerating women who have no idea what kind of world they're in. Um, and then putting them back out into the world with no support. Mm-hmm. And then they wonder why there's all this reoffending. And so I worked with um, the federal government on the federal framework to reduce recidivism. And so we actually got that law changed. So now judges have control. They, the mandatory minimums don't exist for for, for these drugs, drug smuggling charges. There are, obviously there are other charges that they still do for, you know, very good reason. Yep. Um, but often... For the most part, the majority of women involved in the drug trade are marginalized um, and have suffered tremendous abuse and are also mothers. And so there's just so many factors that led to, you know, petitioning to change this law, which was changed last year, which is great. And with the Ministry uh, of Labor, this is so at the provincial la- level, this was more about um, after incarceration. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's not prison reform, but it's about equal uh, equal opportunity employment. And so the Ministry of Labor, I work with Amani McNaughton, he, uh, he just came out with a fund called the Skills Development Fund. And it's like 12, it's, it's an almost $12 million fund that is allocated towards businesses that are trying to, that want to hire and are going to invest in hiring people coming out of incarceration. Um, that's amazing. Like, that's huge. Congratulations to you. And also, thank you for sharing that because I guarantee we have many listeners who did not know about the mandatory minimums that existed or continue to exist in other ways and did not you know would never have and i hate to say this but would never have considered the possibility of hiring someone who is coming out of the system or what that could look like or that there are programs designed to encourage it because you know, equal opportunity matters in all the ways. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I was just leaving to you. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you sharing that because I think people, I think awareness matters for things like this, and I think that um, speaking to some of the changes that have occurred and may continue to occur opens up opportunity for everyone, right? Whether yeah. it's a business owner or company looking to hire someone or someone looking for a job or, you know, of wanting to change their future in some way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when you have nothing left to lose, like you are, you become the strongest fighter when you, all you can do, like all you can do is, is fight. Right. And so instead of, you know, I think often like right now in the workplace, there's like kind of a sense of entitlement in certain areas. So, um, when you come out of prison, you are just like, I'm going to work so hard because I want to see my kids again. I want to have a place to live again. I want to feel proud of myself again. Um, I want to put my kids through university or I want to put myself through through school or something like that. Right. It's like, I want to feel human again. And when you have that feeling, when you want to feel that again, you will, you'll fight till the death pretty much. I think it's really interesting. One of the things that you just said inside of there is that idea of wanting to feel human again. I think that's really important because we, and I, it almost goes back to what you were, you know, something you mentioned earlier around the family environment. And that's that, like, to me, what I hear is just because the work that I do around psychological safety, right? When we feel safe, we feel human. And that's a really basic thing that we should all, everyone should be able to feel safe and human. And 
this is, and I don't mean to downplay this, but this seems like a very obvious way to have some of that help happen for people who otherwise might not, first of all, we're probably not feeling human inside the system. And mm-hmm. we can change that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it says like it's it's gonna be hard to change from the prison system from inside. So like luckily the government is helping to change it. The people inside are helping to change it. I know countless people that have also been incarcerated and that are doing amazing things um now and are you know working working alongside other people that are working like moving towards that same goal. You you see it down in the states um everywhere and now it's finally starting to make make an impact. Yeah. Um I think that's incredible. I um I really want to thank you for sitting and chatting with me and sharing your story and sharing some of the inc- like unbelievably amazing work that you're doing and impact you're having. And you have a really cool company uh that you know makes popcorn that everyone should go try because popcorn's awesome. Uh and a really great story behind it. So like and I mean this, thank you for coming and sharing all of this and being so open um, and educating folks, including myself, about some of the realities of these things. Because, again, not enough people, in my opinion, are talking about it. Well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. So for those who are listening, you can check out Emily and her work at ComebackSnacks.com. And she's also on Instagram at ComebackSnacks. And thank you for listening to Cam's podcast, like, comment, and subscribe to all our channels to get the latest podcasts from entrepreneurs across Canada.